you can have conversations in a sense with your DNA and ask it to repair itself or then to make uh, the protein structures to support and heal the body. We can talk to the tissues as well. So we have the capacity to have very intimate, direct conversations with their body parts that are not coping very well. Welcome to Mindset Mastery. Today, we have author, counsellor and NLP practitioner Leah Mamula joining us to talk about the effect our thoughts and emotions have on our health. Leah has been coaching people from all walks of life for the past 12 years. She also has a background in dietetics and uses all of the knowledge she has gained in her many areas of study to help people grow their confidence and self-compassion. Leah's mission is to help others take steps to walk their life journey. Here to talk about her journey is Leah Mamula. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so much for coming on the Mindset Mastery podcast today. How are you? I'm good, Rachel, and thank you for inviting me. It's always an honor and a privilege, I feel, when other people reach out. So it's always so humbling, really. So thank you for for reaching out. It's just so great to be able to connect with other people in this way. So thank you so much. So to start with, I just want to talk a little bit about your journey and talk me through what led you to creating Steps to Change and go on the path that you're on now. So my journey, it's several parts to it, but I think the the biggest thing, the the biggest uh, take-home message for myself so far when I self-reflect is the fact that I was the youngest of five kids and seeing all the other siblings have so much drama it was an abusive family although it, by some standards it wasn't excessive it was there so the emotional abuse you know the physical expectation the parental was the rulers definitely in that era you know I'm talking about I was born in the 70s so it's definitely the time when the dad was the head of the house and you weren't allowed to have an opinion you weren't allowed to do with things coming from a religious background too so all this experimentation that teenagers do I witnessed my siblings go through that and I remember the age of seven I'm going to be the good girl so I don't get the belt buckle (laughs) it's just like okay so that set me up um, for being the high achiever you know the purposeful going to get out of this situation not knowing what I was actually in I remember we'd go um, traveling and I'd be dreaming looking at the, the the car window of literally running away and living substantially by myself in the in the woods basically (laughs) living off the land and I was about 10 you know quite early at this age just trying to run away on my own and so the age of 18 I was actually married that was my next escape route education wasn't going to get me there because I didn't have the confidence to leave home I'd have to move to the city so marriage was my next option so at the age of 18 (laughs) here I am moved state and married into a family that was quite loving but also that my husband was an interesting character let's put it that way and so with that it was just the progression of going this isn't working this isn't working and then he actually introduced me to Tony Robbins and all that sort of mindset mastery type ideas and he was the impetus for me to get onto this path so a few years later I actually divorced him (laughs) Master his children and yeah, so steps to change came from my literally my progress my evolution from being the wallflower to being the scaredy cat, you know, really stuck on my own dogma, not a lot of confidence, not a give and take. But the last um, suicide attempt was really the wake up call. It was just like, damn, I can't even die. If I can't die, I need to learn to live. 
and that was then the impetus to really go okay I've got children you know there was no there was actually in my head no hope left but my children were still around and I was just like okay if I have to live then teach me so I surrendered and I think surrender is is starting to be the the, the big thing when I challenge myself it's like just let's let it go literally and over the desire the dream or whatever and go okay just do the do but without the expectation so that's how it all came about and the book a result of that journey really the lessons I've learned and the different modalities and now it's about helping other people say okay I also choose to claim my life and make it what I want yeah Oh, that's awesome. Talk me through some of those modalities that you've studied and what was your, your first starting point? Like you said, your ex-husband introduced you to Tony Robbins and um, people like that. So where did you start and how did you progress through that journey? It was actually, yeah. So the first really, the, the first person who really hit me on the head, so to speak, and, and was a wake up call was a book called The Happiness not the happiness trap the happiness something and it was like oh there's possibility and then Bob Proctor was another huge influencer at the time I totally pushed back against it all because it sounded too simplistic and there was a big voice that said, not for me not for me I can't do any of that you know I'm not worthy that sort of thing but it was the fact that it just kept going around and around and around and then the journey work by Brandon Bates I read one of her books and then I learned to therapy level her meditation style. So very cathartic, basically guided meditation to the inner child and using the highest, the highest part of yourself, which is spirit in my interpretation, to go back to the pain points and come to peace and forgiveness around them. So you can imagine how many layers and how many times we, we've experienced these things, but if we can collapse and it's based on NLP. So if you collapse the timelines and go back to the originating issues or as far back as you're safe to go, then you can dismantle and disentangle all the emotional attachments through time. So that sped up a lot of it, I must admit. And then I did NLP formally and reframing was then my next favourite tool. And when I speak to my clients, it's like, okay, how else can we see this? You know, how else do you want to experience what you've just said so flipping is a very important tool too so you can go okay what else is possible from this and seeing the silver blessing you know there's always a blessing in an experience so digging for it sometimes from there I went on oh, what else did I do oh, so many different things and train the trainer and that was interesting because then it was more empowering about coming back to the mental side of the body uh, not just the emotional side so the train the trainer and then working in corrections, that was another really huge wake-up call. And listening to their stories, you know, these inmates, you know, at the end of the day, they're still humans. And, you know, most people disregard them as being less than, whereas I was able to see past them and being predominantly an Aboriginal community. So it was all their spirit and connections as well. And they were blown away because I could speak the heart speak. You know, we were actually talking at a different, totally different energetic level. And I was listening to their stories and having empathy for what they were being going through. And it was interesting, quite a few of the, of the guys would actually say by the end of our time together that if I ever needed help, their family would help me. So from an Aboriginal community, that's a huge honour. So it was just like, okay, I have a gift of just being me 
and being able to help other people see greater in themselves too. So with this, it's that that spiral of learning and opening up and having allowance for myself. And then I also have done the Marissa Pia hypnotherapy. So look, bringing lots of all those tools that I've learned before into a self-learning tool, but also then to help others as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to talk about the language that we use to talk about ourselves. And this is both internally and externally. And, you know, I think that the way that we talk about ourselves that really shapes who we are. So can you tell me, what is your take on that? So the self-talk, there's, there is two levels to it, I think. What we verbally say to others is an indication. But most people will not verbally really talk what we think about ourselves. We'll give the watered-down version to make us socially acceptable. And then in our head, we're, we're calling ourselves all sorts of names. Most of us are very critique, very judgmental, very horrible. And it's like, okay, if we start exploring what you're actually saying to yourself, where does that come from? Whose voice is it really? And do you want to continue? And awareness is always the first step. So asking people to listen to their mind chatter. You know, where is it actually coming from? Whose voice is it? Or whose rules are you actually then listening from? And then when we're talking to other people, I will often actually just stop a person and say, uh, excuse me, <laughs> you know, did you just hear what you said? And do you really mean that? You know, and most people, you know, we're all on autopilot more often than not. And we're not consciously choosing what we say or how we say things. I'm just as guilty as that as the next person, I think. And it's just like that reflex, especially when we get caught up or we get um, worked up, you know, the parts of our brain seem to go on holidays and our mouth takes over. <laughs> but it is that hidden side that wants to come out too. So awareness and just listening and then having very compassionate conversations with yourself too and allowing the self-talk to go, okay, this part of my brain thinks this. And the other side going, do you really want to believe that though? And asking the two to come together in, in a conversation. Yeah. Do you have a practice around that, whether it be meditation or, or journaling or something to help you work out that and what is really going on up there? Uh, for me, I just let it happen. So maybe because I been doing this for so long initially it was more with the therapist you know during the meditations with others and then with repetition being able to recognize the different voices that are having their say uh, and I'll often just bring them in I'll say okay guys everyone at the table come on let's have a round table discussion all my parts come together who wants to go first <laughs> and literally give permission for the parts to have a voice because at the end of the day that's their that's what they're asking for they want to self-protect they want to protect us from revisiting a painful experience that's been triggered in the now so from experience like okay the more you give them permission and don't react to what they say, have the confidence too, to say, okay, this is why I'm saying what I'm saying. And I don't want you to re-experience this event or that event. And when this person said this, this is how you felt. I don't want you to do that again. And then the conscious brain can go, oh, okay, well, that makes more sense. Thank you. Who else wants to have a conversation? And then there's another process that we can do is actually renegotiate the rules from here on just like you would in a team meeting literally okay so who's going to be responsible who's going to to back up who's going to actually step up to the role from a more gentle space and then it's just like 
okay, let's just rejig our brain, rewire it and go, this is where we're heading. This is why we're doing this action or this, this choice. Let's make it work together. And of course, everyone has the, the right and responsibility to, to say, but gently and respectfully say, okay, we're going out of our comfort zone. Can we rejig this? Because at the end of the day, the voices just want to self-protect and they're doing us a service. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just want to talk about the body and how our thoughts and emotions can impact our physical health as well. There's quite a few different layers to this. We know by the work of Joe Dispenza that what we actually think does influence down to the DNA level. So you can have conversations in a sense with your DNA and ask it to repair itself or then to make uh, the protein structures to support and heal the body. We can talk to the tissues as well. So we have the capacity to have very intimate, direct conversations with their body parts that are not coping very well. From another perspective, we know that we have emotions and memories get trapped, in a sense, into the muscles and the tissues of the body too. So when we're doing massage, you know, looking at the tightness and working through, obviously there's a physical element to it where you may you have physically hurt yourself by overstretching or overdoing or you're not taking enough magnesium or your nutritional deficiencies or you're stressed and you have all these other real physical issues going on. Often there is an emotional attachment as well. So again, we can do these types of exercises. We're exploring, okay, talking to the body part, what is the message that you want me to hear? Why are we in pain? Because pain can um, be linked to inflammation and inflammation is often anger. So when we become aware of the, the vibrational energy of the pain point, then we can enter in through that point as well. Okay, what is this? What's the lesson I need to know? Why did this actually happen? What do you need me to stop and sit and ponder over? Heal the energetic attachment to it or the story around it. And then also support the body with correct nutrients, stretching or movement, whatever. So together, the whole body is being supported, not just one or the other, but collectively you're supporting the body as a whole. Mm, yeah, that's great. And what are some ways that we can do this? I, I do do it because I've self-trained all, you know, all the different tools that I take snippets out and yeah, I just use what needs to do at the time for myself. But even if you, with Reiki or can use meditation, you can do that. Even prayer is really calling into the God self or the highest universal powers to actually come in and do the work with your angel powers, whatever label you want to give that domain. You know, massage is very good, but combining that with Reiki or energy work of some kind is extremely powerful. So body touch um, helps. So not only, especially when you work with energetic people, you know, where the channels and the energy flows quite easily, asking their body to feed your energy system helps to move and shift. And then often the awakenings will come, you know, the brain may per perceive the underlying um, issues, sometimes not, and that needs to be okay. But when we can open up the energetic channels in the tissues and allow the body to do its work because it actually knows what it needs to do it has all this innate wisdom and when we give authority and give let's just work with that as well but again we all need touch we all need support we need to know our brain needs to know that it's been heard and validated too so again it's coming back to the the headspace the emotional parts that go yep i hear you 
I see what you're saying and feeling and we acknowledge that. And then that part of the brain relaxes. It's not needing to fight for attention anymore or to scream in a sense for attention. It goes, oh, I can relax now. Let's just do this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm being heard now. Yeah. 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 So what is it about physical touch that is so beneficial, especially if we talk about that movement of energy? So we know from um, just basic human need biology that people need touch. And if a person says that they don't like touch, they've been traumatised sometime in their early, early years. Because an infant when born, not only are they dependent on being touched, you know, to be fed and to be cared for and all that sort of thing, but they need the physical touch to stimulate all their nervous systems in a healthy, positive way. Unfortunately, during our growth or our maturation, um, our society downplays the value of it. And so when we get to adulthood, depending on experiences or the cultures or um, the, the environment that we are living in, human touch can actually be seen as a negative but yet the whole physiology the whole limbic you know the whole emotional parts of us need touch it's a human basic requirement to to maintain well-being or sense of well-being and it's also the connection with others we know um, that all of us have our own energy vibration like our own signature based on the emotions that we feel so when we're with another person and we have just even just a touch on the, on the shoulder blade, we feel it, not just the senses on the skin feeling it, but we can feel a calmness often coming through. It's just like the body and also our souls being heard, it's being acknowledged. And it's just that calming effect of, again, our inner souls being acknowledged. It's okay. It's all good. You know, I'm here. And so the simple just a touch on the hand sometimes can make such a big difference, especially for those who are in a very vulnerable state. Mm, yeah, that's awesome. So can you talk me through your latest book? What led you to write that and some of the things that we can expect reading that? Okay, so both the, the books, the journal and also the What the Mind Sees have been upgraded. So What the Mind Sees, so this one was written originally in 2018, but it was in the computer for quite a few years. I had gone to Europe for three months. I, ha I have a voice that sits on my shoulder. And I was actually doing a Reiki session in 2016. And I had this vision that I have to go to Atlantis. And the therapist had exactly the same thing. So it was like, not my imagination. It was spirit guided. So anyway, I had started to write the book. It was in the computer. I went over to, to Europe for these three months. And I got back and the voice then said to me, now sit down and write the fucking book, will you? <laughs> it was just so, okay, fine, I'll write the book. <laughs> so that's how it came about. Mm -hmm. And it is literally um, snippets of the different processes, the different things I've learned. A lot of it was just inspired. It is a, the first original version is a, a bit of a hot pot, you know, just bits and pieces like a bit, one pot soup, bits and pieces all put in together. The new edition that I just re, just finished re-editing is a smoother version of it. So we're going more to a beautiful beef stew <laughs> that has several different layers but blended better. And I did the graduate certificate of counselling last year, so the attachment theory and psychosocial development um, is then written into this new version as well. And that is very profound. So when we can understand 
our childhood and understand how our parents actually were coping or not coping and overlaid their belief systems, expectations and the messages that we then took on or inherited that are now playing out and dictating our life, then we have more choice. In my opinion, we can actually go, okay, do I really want to continue with this? What do I need to change or address to, to make a life different than I want to have? Not just because everyone else says we should, you know, that, and it's interesting, the stories that are coming up, the big idea that, that adults should be parents, just a blanket statement. You know, you're of a certain age, you should have a child by now. Why don't you? And it's for both genders, you know, traditionally it was just female, but both genders are now being targeted. You're this old and you don't have kids? By whose rules? Is it the, the society or is it just because religious? Is it cultural? Is it just that just such a norm that anything that's out of the norm has to be challenged to fit in? So that's how it's actually come about. And the journal itself, again, work in progress over the years. It started out when I was a dietitian, helping people to reflect on their dietary choices for diabetes in particular. So it was more medically orientated, but it was still very much a self-reflection. Why am I choosing to have these foods, knowing that it's going to spike my, my sugar load and also the need for insulin or tablets? You know, why am I not exercising? Why am I not doing what's required? That's how that one started. And then now it's really about, okay, what good happened today? What bad happened today? What's the lesson that I learned today? Who do I need to give gratitude today? Who do I need to talk to and give forgiveness to? So it has evolved very much over the years, both of them. Pretty much intense. And the journal works very well with the online program, Spring Clean in particular. So that's how they have evolved together as well. The online version is, mm, yeah, a more intimate aspect of the same modalities and treatments that are in the book. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> um, just talking about that, digging into the why, you use the example of when you're a dietitian and digging into the why people eat certain foods I guess is that with that be the same process with anything when you think oh why can't I just stop doing this thing and what are the, the different layers you can dig through to to get to that reason why to start to resolve yeah. that and that's the fascinating part about psychology there's just so many hidden layers and again we're not encouraged to self-reflect our culture growing up is just like just get on with it what's your problem you know get over it we're not encouraged to go, okay, why am I actually doing this? Why do I have this condition? Why am I choosing what I'm doing? Everything's an autopilot and also to keep peace. So what was happening is that I was doing more counselling than dietetics without actually having a counselling degree. So I was just like, okay, let's just explore some of these ideas. And one, one comment that still stands out to me today is that I was talking with a lady in her 40s and she was endeavoring her hardest to, to reduce her weight you know she had a goal she was on target she was doing all the right things and then one day she said to me they were sitting on the lounge and her husband gave her uh, on a spoon her favorite cake and said you know you want to and she she wanted to push back and resist but he was so manipulative and I was just like I got really offended and I was just like this has to change you know we need to empower people to say this is actually really bad behavior and then take on that really self-righteous but in a positive way and say how dare you you know so then it started to shift let's really empower people 
not only just to follow the rules of dieting, which I don't agree with anyway, but why do we actually do what we do? You know, why is our bodies not coping? Then if you look from the inflammation perspective and we get right into the biochemical reasons why we create disease, it's like, okay, inflammation is the cause, where's the inflammation coming from? So then it's about definitely the food choices, definitely gut health. You know, the gut bacteria also altering the biochemical nature of the gut, but also triggering the immune system, triggering off the nervous system which then overplays into the hormonal system. And so it's all this massive spiderweb interlinking, all stemming from at the end of the day, in my opinion, that we haven't got the ability to say, I choose this and follow through. Mm. We've handed so much power over to the media, over to the, the food companies, you know, believing all their propaganda instead of going just a minute. They want me to eat a packet goods that have been stripped of all their nutrients and chucked back in in a different form over eating fruit that our genetically we are able to digest and assimilate and then use for what it was meant to do so it was this sort of conversations and you know then talking with people why do you think this what does that mean to you when was this happening in your childhood what does food represent to you and again, it was the messages that food was very much around rituals, as we already knew, you know, connections. It, it is a language of love. You know, the more that a person feeds the other, it's meant to be a message of love. You know, I'm considering you, I'm spoiling you, I'm sugaring you up. <laughs> and all this sort of thing. It's just like, okay, there's truth in that. However, is it really serving you? And can you be more selective? And it's so difficult. You know, it really is. And then when, and it is that looking through the layers, not just the psychology, just not the emotions, but it's how the emotions and psychology driving our lifestyle choices that are triggering the inflammation. And why are so many people resistant to self care? Again, our society doesn't encourage self care fully. You know, we say, oh, it's just like this fad. No one fully understands that self-care is actually a form of self-love, but we're not allowed to love ourselves. So it's a dichotomy of, you know, conflict of values in our society and culture. You want us to do this, but we're not allowed to do it. So in, in many ways, it's us breaking the concept that, yes, it is okay, that it's acceptable and it's encouraged to actually look after you. It's important. You know, so let's do this together. Let's give you the skills. Let's give you the confidence. And, you know, the strength to actually push back against people who don't want to value you and say, no, stuff it. And that took me a long time <laughs> to get to this point. Seriously, you know, a long, long time. It's only in the last year or so um, since I've been able to say, you know, stuff it. You're the dickhead. You're the idiot. You're the one choosing not to see how good I am. And now I'm okay with saying I love myself enough to say no. Or I love myself to stay in that situation, get all the benefit and the lessons possible and really milk it and take advantage of that situation for my benefit. And, and that also takes courage because we're taught to run. Things aren't working yet, run away. Leave it. Don't give in to it. But how many lessons are we missing out on by staying in the situation just like our grandparents did, but with tools to actually learn tools to expand our awareness tools to understand ourselves even 
so that we can go, okay, this is who I choose to be. This is why I am. This is what I want to become. How am I going to get there? And it's only when conflict that often will challenge that. So if there's a challenging relationship or work situation, yes, it's easy to run and just call names under the sun to everyone around us. But what do we actually achieve? I'm still going to go with this. Because it's in our own psyche that this is what things are meant to be. Mm, I love that. That's fantastic. So Leah, tell me, what is your single biggest message that you want to get out into the world? We kind of covered it now in really broad terms, but if you could have listeners take away one thing, what would that be? My biggest message really is that you can make a difference to yourself. You can empower yourself. It does take commitment, but with the with unlearning the things that you've learned, the lies, the beliefs that have caused harm or are stopping you from doing what you want to do. And that's not materialistic. It's just like becoming the character that you need to become to have the materialistic things. So it's all well and good to have goals, but if you're not able to sustain it because it's not coming from your heart or it's not actually in resonance with who you are, then the materialistic things will come and go easier. And it's all about self-actualization. And I was explaining this on a, another podcast on Saturday. It's really about coming back to ourselves. So it's coming back to self-love, self-care, self-nurture, self-everything, and being able to say, this is who I am, and being okay with that. Hearing the critique, hearing the other voices around, say, that's okay, that's your interpretation. But my core of core is that I'm worth it, I'm important, and I'm at, at peace. And I'm doing my thing to the best of my ability for now, knowing that I've still got places to learn and being okay with that. And then from there, you can choose what you want because you're not going to be buffered as much by the people in the situations around you. Mm, that's great advice. I love that. So Leah, if people want to find out more about you, where can they go? The easiest is the website. So www.steps2change.com.au. So it's all letters, steps to change.com.au. I've also recently started my own podcast, which is actually topics from the books. So half hour just expanding an idea. So that's a new addition to the books being published. So when they're in back in print fully, or you can get the current versions of my website now too. It's all possible. Anything's possible. That's awesome. And you can find those links as well in the show notes below. Leah, it's been so good to talk to you this morning. Thanks so much for coming on the show. No, thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk about this sort of thing. So thanks, Rachel. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. You can find out more about Leah by visiting the show notes below. If you've been enjoying the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app so more people like you can join us on this journey towards mindset mastery. Until next time, remember, we are only limited by what we believe we are limited.